You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. In this episode, Dr. John talks Ayurveda. Hi, my name is Dr. John DeYard, and I run the Life Spa, an Ayurvedic retreat center in Boulder, Colorado. And I'd like to talk to you today about Ayurveda. Ayurveda is the science of life, how to live your life in harmony with the natural cycles. Birds fly south, whales migrate, leaves turn red, fall off trees. Everything in nature is tied to these beautiful cycles, and so are we. And Ayurveda is a science of learning how to live your life in harmony with those cycles. We each have a constitution that matches up with different aspects of nature. Some of us are like winter, we're cold and dry, and that, that translates as vata. Some of us are like pitta, or like summer, and we're hot and fiery and competitive and driven. And some of us are like spring, holding on to more water, called kapha, and we're easygoing and heavier set and more mellow in constitution. These, we, these qualities of nature exist inside of us. Ayurveda is that system that includes detoxification, how to detoxify yourself in, in the appropriate season, how to live your life in harmony with the natural cycles, eat the right food at the right time in the right way, sleep when the sun sets, wake up with the natural cycles, begin to live your life so you feel like your life is not a struggle. How many of you feel like your life is a struggle? How many of you at the end of your day feel exhausted and tired and depleted? How many of you throughout the day crave sugar, candy, cokes, coffee, chocolate, things to give you an injection to get you through the day? These are, these are stimulants that are used because our body can't, doesn't have the energy to make it through the day. In Ayurveda, we talk about how to get you to live your life in harmony with, that, with the natural cycles, and at the end of the day, feel the exact same energy as when you started, and have zero cravings throughout the day. That is the goal of Ayurvedic medicine. Please go to my website at lifespot.com and get more information about Ayurveda, Panchakarma, detoxification therapies, and how to live your life in harmony with these amazing natural cycles. Thank you. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to talk to you today about Ayurveda. I've been asked so many times to talk about what is Ayurvedic medicine. Ayurvedic medicine is a system of medicine from India, thousands of years old, designed to help bring the body back into balance so the body could heal itself. Ayus means life, means your life, and Veda means knowledge or truth. So Ayurveda means the truth of your life. So it's really all about letting the truth of you out. So the system of medicine designed to bring the body back into balance is also not only designed to make you feel good so you can function well and exercise and sleep good and deal with stress well, but more importantly, it's designed to reduce the density, the stress, the imbalance of the physical so we have more clarity mentally to see what this crazy mind has conjured up in the name of safety and security and patterns of behavior and belief systems that we may have created when we were two, three, four, five years old that we're still projecting on the screen today as adults. So Ayurveda was about, hey, let's get a system to bring the body into balance. That will create more clarity. Then we can see what this crazy mind is doing and then take actions to free 
ourselves. It's a Vedic science. Vedic science means sciences of truth, which are mean letting the truth of you out. That's why I love Ayurvedic. It's not about just fixing back pain or heartburn. It's really about getting the body into balance. You function well. And then if you so choose to dive into old emotional patterns, patterns of behavior that we create in our mind to feel safe and secure, that we store in our fat cells that remotely make us think and do the same dumb stuff again and again and again, this is what Ayurveda is about, is to have the clarity to see those patterns. Are they still serving you? And then take transformational action steps to free yourself. So Ayurveda employs many tools in this regard. It, lives, it talks about living a life in harmony with the natural cycles, going downstream, eating with the seasons, living in harmony with the daily cycles of nature, eating at the right time of day, getting rest at the right time of day, working and exercising at the right time of day, all in harmony with the natural cycle so the boat is going calmly downstream versus paddling and struggling upstream, making life a struggle, exhaustive and a debilitating experience which gives you no calm and no clarity to see what we can do to actually find more joy and more contentment in our life. We employ techniques like yoga and breathing and meditation, again, all designed to calm the nervous system so we have more clarity to see the illusion of the mind. And using herbs to bring the body back into balance is critical. And also, a very important piece of the Ayurvedic medicine is... Uh, the detoxification program is called Panchakarma. We have home detoxes like our short home cleanse and the Colorado cleanse, all again designed to help bring the body back into balance physically, to detoxify the body well, to make sure the body is a good digester and therefore a good detoxifier naturally so you're not dependent on herbs, pills, or powders or detoxification programs to feel good but to bring the body back into balance so its function of digestion and detox are, are optimal. And then once you have optimal digestion and optimal detox, again, that creates a level of clarity, access to an experience of composure and calm, and the ability to employ what we call self-inquiry techniques or critical analysis techniques of your mind. So we are not duped by this crazy emotional need of the mind to be satisfied, to have more of this or more of that, or to buy more of this, to get more money, more power, more fame, to actually be completely content with just being you, letting the truth of you out. So that's a phenomenal, fascinating system of medicine, in my opinion, because the end result is to have a deeper access to the true version of you. Thanks for listening. Please check out the article associated with this uh, video where I go into detail into this as well. And there's tons more information about this at uh, LifeSpa.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. My name is Dr. John Duyard, and I'd like to talk to you today about your Ayurvedic body type. Ayurveda is a traditional system of medicine from India, thousands of years old. Translated, it means the science of life how to live your life in harmony with the natural cycles. Your body type is really a part of the natural cycles. Winter is a cold, dry season. There are people who are cold and dry. So if you're a cold, dry person, which means your hands and feet are always cold, you're nervous and you don't sleep well, and you're kind of restless, hyper-metabolic, this translates in Ayurveda as a vata body type, which means air, which means your nervous system or your body is predominant or governed by air. Now, in the wintertime, squirrels eat nuts for a living. Uh, why do they eat nuts? Is because they're warm 
heavy foods that calm their nervous system down. In nature, we always get the antidote to every season in the harvest. So in the winter, when it's cold and dry, and you have a vata body type, which is more cold and nervous and restless, eat more warm foods that are harvested naturally in the winter time. In the spring, it's a rainy, heavy, muddy time of the year. It's the allergy season. If you have a lot of spring qualities in your body type, you tend to be rainy and heavy and muddy. You tend to be congested, maybe get more allergies, hold on to more weight, hypometabolic, maybe more easygoing. This is a kapha body type. Kapha means to stick together or cough. So people with more kapha in their constitution tend to be more congested. And what ha- what's harvested in the spring is perfect. It's leafy greens and sprouts and berries and cherries, all perfect low-fat foods that antidote the tendency for us to gain more mucus in the springtime. In the summertime, it's a hot, fiery season, and people with a lot of summer in their body type are competitive and driven, fired up. They get burned out, angry, irritated. They get rashes on their skin. This body type we call pitta, which means fire and they are aggressive and competitive. So in the summertime, nature again provides the perfect antidote to the extreme of that season with naturally occurring cooling foods like fruits and vegetables that cool the body down so it doesn't get overheated and burned out. To determine your body type, I invite you to go to my website at lifespa.com and take an interactive body type questionnaire. And once you determine your body type, go to the article section and look up the three season grocery lists, a grocery list of foods for winter, for summer, and spring. And once you understand your body type, you can then begin to eat more of the foods in the winter when it's cold and dry in the wintertime, eat more of the foods on that list in the spring and the springtime, and more of the foods on the list in the summer and the summertime. Don't think about what you should not eat but think about what you can eat more of. Nature provides the perfect antidote to keep us healthy from season to season to season. Tie that with an understanding of who you are individually, and it's a prescription for a healthy life. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to talk today about how to determine your Ayurvedic emotional body type. You know, we have the regular body type we talk about in Ayurveda, and you can take the questionnaire on my website for, to find that out. You can also take a questionnaire about determining your emotional type. This is really important because in our culture, we have, we have created a situation where we have become very distracted by our senses, by money, power, fame, success, stimulating activities, and we've lost something very, very important. In Ayurveda, they call that sattva. Sattva is the experience of your heart to be content and joyful and loving for no reason, because it's your nature to be that. That is what's called sattva. And we have that as a young child, and that's why I think why adults are so attracted to kids, because they're attracted to that sattva, that connection that they have to their heart, to their consciousness. And then as we grow, we, we, we find ice cream and stimulating activities and movies and candy and coke and money and power and fame, and we start to stimulate ourselves and we become very what's called rajastic. And we become very rajastic in our behavior, which means stimulating 
um, ourselves with our mind to become satisfied. So instead of getting hurt feelings as a young children, we use our mind to create a level of safety and security. So now I, I buy a new dress or I buy new shoes or I get a new car or I eat more candy or more cake or more food or more coffee or more chocolate. All these things stimulate my mind to make me feel satisfied. At least give me the illusion of satisfying, of being satisfied. And that's called a rajasic mindset. And what happens over time with a lot of us in certain areas is that we become overly stimulated and it doesn't do it for us anymore. You know, the, the, the Starbucks and the chocolate and the money and the power and the fame, it doesn't work. It doesn't make me satisfied like it once did. It doesn't juice me like it once did. So I start to become too old to change. It's called tamasic. I kind of cocoon or retreat into a protective place where I, I, I don't engage in activities anymore. I withdraw, I smoke pot, I do alcohol, I drink, I, I drown myself in these kind of activities that make me numb to the world. So there's three basic emotional body types, sattva, which is truth of your heart, expansion of your heart, rajas, stimulation of the mind, giving you the illusion of satisfaction, and a tamasic mindset where you actually become protective and withdrawn from interacting with the world, unwilling to take that risk to be hurt. And when you take the questionnaire that's in the article associated with this video, you find out what your body type is, I give you strategies to kind of reverse the tendency for us to go from sattva to rajas to tamas and become more disconnected from our heart and how to re-enter to the only place that we're probably ever going to be truly satisfied is when we take the risk to be more delicate, the risk to be more vulnerable, and maybe the biggest risk of all, to be loving and to be joyful, and maybe the biggest one of all, to be powerful. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard. I want to talk to you today about living your life in harmony with the natural cycles. In Ayurveda, this is a big deal. Living your life in harmony with the cycles, going downstream with the current, means you finish your day with the same energy as you started. You wake up refreshed, you're hungry at the right time, you're not craving constantly, you exercise at the right time, you're sleepy at the right time. This is all about living in harmony with the cycles. Every traditional culture had a, a lifestyle that was connected to the rhythms of nature. In Ayurveda, the first cycle starts at 6 a.m. Generally speaking, we're going to call that sunrise. So for the next four hours after the sun rises, and that's going to be, of course, you know, much later in the winter and earlier in the summer, but at four hours after that, you're going to generally see the muscles become stronger. When I did um, a lot of work at the Soviet Union, all of their big heavy lifting workouts were done in the morning. A significant number of people exercise on a regular basis do it first thing in the morning. The muscles are stronger to plow fields and dig ditches first thing in the morning when the muscles and the body can handle it before it gets too hot. So the morning is a time for your physical activity. And it's very important because if you sleep in after the sun rises doing a very heavy kind of activity, then the longer you sleep in, the heavier you get, the more stiff you get. In our culture, we very generally, commonly sleep in after the sunrise and generally get more stiff and more rigid as we age. Now this next cycle between 10 o'clock-ish and 2 o'clock, the next four hours, generally is when the digestive system is most strong. 
every traditional culture stops, even to this day, and has their big meal in the middle of the day. This is when the digestive fire is the most strong. So it's very important that we stop and relax and dine and make that meal count. That's definitely a meal you do not want to miss. And the reason why is because the next cycle is when is the, what we call the vata cycle between 2 o'clock and 6 o'clock. And that is when the nervous system becomes active. We really need to think. Now, the brain is the big gas guzzler. It burns 80% or so of your blood sugar. So if you didn't put enough fuel in your tank during the pit of time of the day between 10 o'clock and 2, when the body can digest its food, and you waltz into the afternoon with no gas in your tank, then your blood sugar is going to crash, and you're going to crave dark chocolate, sweets, candy, coke, a nap, and you're going to be looking for some type of energy from somewhere else. So the idea is to put the gas in the tank in the middle of the day so the brain has the fuel to have an even keel through the afternoon. And if you're crashing in the afternoon, then that's a stress. And that stress, if it's, if it's consistent day in and day out, constantly crashing every day, crashing every day, that will trigger an emergency response, a stress hormone response, which is a degenerative hormone. And however you are genetically predisposed to break down, that kind of daily stress will take you out. One of the reasons why so many cultures stop and revolve their entire day around a big, big meal. Of course, in our culture here, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, in the agriculture communities, even today, people still stop and have their big meal in the, uh, in the middle of the day. We've lost that, that trend, that concept, and we really need to bring it back. The second set of cycles starts at 6 p.m. Now, at 6 p.m., the sun begins to set. The cortisol levels start to kind of drop down, getting us ready for going to sleep. But if you've been stressing and pushing all day long, the cortisol levels stay up, and it becomes difficult for us to want to go to sleep. So in the evening, the cooks go home around 6 o'clock. There's not a lot of digestive strength in the evening. Another reason why the big meal should be in the middle of the day, and then in the evening at 6 o'clock, work should be wrapping up, and you should be thinking about settling down and getting ready for sleep. This is a nice time to go for an evening walk or some light exercise because it is what we call a kapha time of day. It's the second kapha time of day. Every cycle always starts with kapha, the morning cycle, kapha, which is strong structural strength to support the endurance of workout and physical labor. And the second cycle at 6 p.m. gives you the same type of structural strength, so it's the second best time to exercise. Don't do it too late because it can overstimulate you and not let you settle down to go to sleep. And then, so that's the time you want to be thinking about bed, early supper, and then 7, 8 o'clock, and around 10 o'clock at night, the pitta, the fire, comes in again between 10 o'clock and 2. And this is when the liver becomes very active to detoxify the body, prepare you for the next day. Now, if you are eating at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, at 10 o'clock, the janitor comes in, wants to wash floors and clean windows, and you're eating your dinner and still digesting, the body goes, hey, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were still having your dinner. Uh, I will come back tomorrow and detoxify you and clean your liver and then prepare you for the next day. So if you're having late meals on a regular basis, the ability for your body to properly detoxify is compromised. And we keep accumulating toxicity. The liver just simply can't do its job efficiently because the liver is so much a part of digestion. So the idea is an early evening, settle down, get ready for bed. By 10 o'clock, you're in bed. 10 o'clock to 2, you're detoxifying really well. And then between 2 and 6, you're in steep sleep. But somewhere in the early morning hours before sunrise, you naturally wake up. And this is when you wake up before the sunrise. And it's a natural 
occurrence. It's not something you need with an alarm clock, that your body's natural alarm clock is to wake up with the rhythms of nature. Now in the wintertime, the, the daytimes are going to become much shorter and condensed, and the evening times are going to become much longer. So in the winter we get way more sleep, repair, rebuild, rejuvenate in the winter, and in the summertime we have way more daytime energy, and therefore those times from the daytime expand. So we have to kind of plug that into the equation. So you might go to bed a couple of hours after the sun is set in the summertime, it's going to be much later, then going to bed a couple of hours after the sun set in the winter. And that's sort of a general rule, two to three hours after the sun sets, go to bed, kind of helps you plug in the fact that the times of day are changing. So, one last question. If you were to go to bed at, say, 12 o'clock and woke up tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, how would you feel? Probably heavy, tired, stiff, like you've slept too much. You went to bed at 8 o'clock and you woke up the next morning at 6 o'clock. How would you feel in comparison? Probably a lot better. Well, they were both 10 hours of sleep. One was just connected to the rhythms of nature. So please read the article associated with this video. Begin to understand the power of living your life in harmony with these natural cycles and begin to finish your day with the same energy as you started. Go to sleep early so you can wake up refreshed and ready for the day and, and really naturally regulate the amount of cortisol, stress-fighting hormone, you produce during your day. We know stress is the cause of 80% of disease. And the stress that we, when we incur when we push, push, push against the grain, it causes insomnia and degenerative disease. So please, take responsibility for your health, begin to understand the natural cycles, and just test and see how you feel when you live your life in sequence and in harmony with those natural cycles. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Viard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Viard, and I want to talk to you today about a very special study called Rasayana. It's one of the eight branches of Ayurveda, and it's the study of longevity, the study of rejuvenation, the study of how to make this body live a really long time and be healthy along the way. The word rasayana, rasa ayana. Rasa means lymph, and ayana means the special study of. So what's interesting is that this study of longevity is really the study of our lymphatic fluid. Now we always think of lymph as the drains of the body, but the interesting thing is that from the Ayurvedic perspective, the lymph starts being produced at the very, very first scent or sight of a food that you might particularly like. When you come home and you smell the brownies in the oven and you, and you start to feel happy, you're beginning to produce a nutrient fluid called lymph. Interesting thing in, Ayur, in Ayurveda and Sanskrit, any word that has multiple meanings is a very, very important word. Well, the word rasa, not only does it mean lymph, but it means uh, emotion, it means the taste, the taste of the food, it means water, it means nutrient fluid, it means love, it means melody. It has many, many meanings. But the most important meaning of rasa is the lymph and the taste and the emotion. Point being is that when you taste a food, you're actually eliciting an emotional response. In fact, when we smell the food, our five senses, our avenues of consciousness are facilitating a mental kind of digestive response to prepare and begin to start digesting that food, which causes the very beginning production of rasa. 
the nutrient fluid, the beginning of this journey of the rasa datu. Very interestingly is the rasa, from that first smell of the brownie, that first nutri nutritional fluid, actually goes through a journey of transforming itself again and again and again into different tissues of the body that takes literally 30 days to be produced. So when we smell that food, it's very important that the emotional charge that we put into that food happens right then and there. So the taste of the food provides an emotional charge to that food, because the taste is means or is, is called rasa. The emotion is called rasa. The lymph is called rasa. The, the food that moves through your body is called ahara rasa. It's a very important fluid that it goes all the way through the digestive process. My point today is that, that two points really. One, I want to take this journey, this 30-day journey with you. It might take a little longer than I have for this video. But I also want to make the point that, that the first emotional charge is when the quality of your, your awareness, your state of calm while you're eating the food. If you're eating the food in a panic and in a rush, and you're gobbling the food down, you're not going to create this emotional state of calm that allows the rasa to be produced in a complete fashion. And if the rasa is not being produced in a complete fashion, energetically charged with stress, it's going to go into your ahara rasa, the food as it goes through your digestive tract, and it's going to impact the microbes, which we now know are directly related or affected by your stress. When you're under stress, good bugs go south, bad bugs go north. We know if you take the poop out of a very anxious mouse and put it into a calm mouse, the calm mouse gets anxious. We know that 95% of the serotonin in the body that's produced and stored and manufactured in your intestinal tract, and only 5% is in our brain. So we know for sure that we really process our stress through the intestinal tract. And the emotional charge of the food while you eat it directly impacts the ability for the microbes to support healthy production and therefore a good mood. Literally, sounds crazy, I know, but the emotional effect while you're eating the food, according to Ayurveda, critically relates to production of the rasa, which goes on this 30-day journey to make your whole body function, which is really interesting. Now, we know from a scientific point of view that when you're under stress, your good bugs go south. We know that for a fact. So Ayurveda was very close to describing what we now know today thousands of years ago. I think it's very interesting. So point number one, when you eat your food, taste your food. In Ayurveda, there's six tastes, sweet, sour, salt, pungent, bitter, and astringent. All six of those have a different and unique emotional effect. So when you taste something sweet, it provides satisfaction. If you overdo the sweet, it provides sort of a complacency. If you take uh, sour food, it provides the ability for us to, deter, to, dis, to discern and evaluate what's going on. That sour kind of focus provi it provides. If you have excess sour food, it can create jealousy. If you have salty food, it can create salt is a, is a powerful stimulant. It creates desire and the zest for life. But if you have too much salt, it can create uh, over-desire, a hedonistic lifestyle, too much material uh, possessions. It, pungent is a taste that provides stimulation as well, excitement, and extroversion. 
If you have too much of the pungent food, it can make you angry and irritable. Um, bitter foods are, uh, are very bitter and they provide uh, energy and stimulation and the, 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 the movement for change, that bitter sort of activation. But if you have too much bitter, it can make you hyper or it can make you manic. It even can make you bitter because it can be too much of that same taste. Astringent foods, the last food, is uh, uh, the one like taking beans or, or a pickle or a cucumber. It's very astringent and uh, it causes introspection. Also a certain level of mental clarity from the astringent foods. But if you have, again, too much of those foods, it can cause you to be overly sensitive and then withdraw and retreat. I, Ayurvedically, we always say that all six tastes should be there with every meal. It's not always possible, and it's not that critically important for every meal. But if you have a long-term accumulation of lack of one taste or too much of another, it can begin to skew the emotional charge of the food that you're tearing into the ahara rasa, into the intestinal tract that are supporting the bugs that make the neurotransmitters that make you happy or sad. It's really that simple. And support the heavy lifting for your immune system and pretty much the health of our entire body is directly related to the bugs who are critically affected by our stress. It's pretty fascinating. The rasa, when it gets absorbed out of your intestinal tract, it becomes blood. It manufactures the production or supports the production of blood. And then it becomes muscle. Then it becomes fat. Then it becomes bone and nerve and reproductive tissue. Now that process way more detailed than I have uh, time for today. But it's a long journey. I write about it in the article, and I'm going to write more about this process because it's quite fascinating. But it takes 30 days for that to happen. And the final product is reproductive tissue. And the essence of that final product, the final product, after we produce all these seven tissues, reproductive tissue being the final, most creative, obviously, tissue, there's a tissue called ogis, which is called longevity fluid, you could call it. It's the final <clears throat> manifestation of the rasa, of the lymph. It's called vitality fluid, energizing fluid, longevity fluid. It provides a glow and a radiance in your skin and your body. It makes you happy. It makes you satisfied. It's actually stored and reserved in your heart, and it's called the physiological expression of consciousness. It's the body's final refinement of digestion to provide something that's physical that holds on to our spiritual process, our, our, our ability to support consciousness and have a, a more uh, subtle energy experience of life, a spiritual experience of life rather than just a physical. In fact, from the Ayurvedic perspective, this journey that rasa takes is the most important journey. And if you make good rasa, and, you, and it's done with good emotion, and it's been supported along the way with good quality, not excessive behavior or stressful behavior, and you produce all the tissues balanced in a balanced fashion, and you produce ojas, the more ojas you produce, simply put, the longer you live, the healthier you are, and the more of a spiritual process in a life you can enjoy. Fascinating subject, really, when you look at what Ayurveda understood with regard to the very finest aspects of digestion. But again, it's all about lymph in Ayurveda, so please take a look at this article that I've written about this. It's very compelling, I think very interesting. I think you'll like it. 
And uh, please tune in for more about this fascinating subject of the finest and most subtle aspects of Ayurvedic digestion. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Biard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Biard, and I want to talk to you today about the difference between extracts and whole herbs. You know, back in the 1970s, uh, standardized extracts were created to create a standardized dose. So every herb, every capsule had the exact same dosage of the constituents, active ingredients in the herbs. Unfortunately, in nature, it doesn't really work that way. In nature, depending on the soil and the location, the constituents vary consistently. I'm always a big believer to getting as close to nature as possible when we take natural herbal supplements. Now, most good herbal companies are always trying to standardize their extracts to the, as close to the blueprint of nature as possible. In Europe, it's required that they stay close to that blueprint. Unfortunately, in America, that's not necessarily the case. You can have companies that advertise that this herb is a thousand times the effectiveness and strength of another herb. That's because in America, we're allowed to create extracts that are super potentized, and those are very dangerous. Those are very risky. But again, most herbal companies are trying to match, in America, the blueprint of the original herb. And I think that it has a, is very, very useful. I believe that the extracts can be used in a medicinal sense. They are still somewhat of a concentrated form. They are still more potent than the whole herb. The body still seems to build a tolerance to them, so we want to get on them, get better, and get off. Where the whole herbs are like foods from your garden. You take them, you can take them as for as long as you like. The body never seems to build a tolerance, and I like that idea. In Ayurveda, when we try to make a more potent formula, we take, for example, turmeric. If you take turmeric powder, 16 parts, one part black pepper, put them together, research has shown that it increases the absorption rate by over 2,000%. And that increased absorption study by just adding two simple whole herbs together, turmeric and black pepper, launched a, a litany of studies on turmeric for cancer and other uses of turmeric because now they found a way to make it that much more bioavailable. So in Ayurveda, we always try to combine herbs in a traditional uh, way that's been used for thousands of years without taking the herb, extracting one constituent, and then sort of potentizing that and trying to then kind of recreate a blueprint of the whole herb. I do believe in extracts for medicinal purposes, but I do believe more on, uh, for using whole herbs on a regular basis. Most of my herbs are whole herbs, although I do have some extracts, again, for those medicinal purposes. There was an herb called ephedra. You probably remember it. It was used for weight loss, and the FDA got their hands on it and, 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 uh, and made it uh, illegal for us to use ephedra. Well, there were 1,400 study uh, reports, complaints, of people having side effects and major problems by using this plant, ephedra. All 1,400 of those complaints were from the extract, and not one of those complaints was from the whole herb. So again, another, uh, you know, I think the extract done in a safe way, not the thousand times the, the, the potency extract, but good quality extracts can be used safely. But the whole herb is always safe. So I always encourage you to look for whole herbs first. They may not be as potent as the extract, but they're going to deliver a safe dose. And if you combine them correctly, like in Ayurveda, we often deliver 
a, a, you know, a dose that, in my opinion, can even be more effective without the issues of dependency and the bodybuilding, a tolerance to that. This other issue with extracts is sometimes they, they always standardize the extract to one of the major constituents, the one thing that they think is the most active ingredient. And sometimes they don't know what the active ingredient is. Sometimes they sort of guess what their best bet is, like ashwagandha is, is uh, typically... Uh, standardized to the withanolides, which is really, I guess, no one's really sure what the major ingredient for active ingredient for ashwagandha is. St. John's wort, a popular uh, agent for mood support. Uh, they always thought hyperosum was the major active ingredient. It was standardized for years uh, to the hyperosum content, and now they realize that the major active ingredient is hyperiform, which is a different constituent, a different chemical. So you know, whenever we start messing with nature scientifically, I always find that we sort of have to backtrack and retreat. So um, the initial approach when you're treating yourself with herbs is always be safe. Use whole herbs first. You'll never run into trouble. You don't have interactions. You don't have any of the major side effects and problems that we see uh, with some of the extracts. Kava kava, another example, used for thousands and thousands of years for mood support uh, in Oceania and around, all throughout the South Pacific uh, and then when uh, we got our hands on it, we extracted the cavalactones and made it into a potent herb. That extract had liver toxicity issues, and the FDA has now tagged that as a liver toxin. And again, now this particular plant that was once phenomenal as a whole plant has been tagged uh, for being a toxic substance. So, you know, again, always think about, you know, using extracts from qualified professionals, and I always think of using them for a limited time. Get on the medicine, get better, get off the medicine, use whole herbs, combine them in an appropriate manner. That's the safest way to go. And please, I write in detail about this issue of whole herbs versus extracts, and hopefully this will allow you to safely navigate your health food store shelves. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Duyard. Hi, my name is Dr. John Duyard, and I want to talk to you today about how to choose a doctor. You know, there are three distinct systems of medicine we can choose from. There's Western or allopathic medicine designed to really do the job for the body, save lives. There's naturopathic medicine, a natural system medicine that uses natural things to do the job for the body, like digestive enzymes or natural laxatives or bioidentical hormones, all doing the job for the body in a more natural way than Western medicine, which uses pharmaceuticals or drugs that just gets the job done. And then there's traditional systems of medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Chinese medicine, homeopathy, and chiropractic, all systems designed to bring the body back into balance so the body can heal itself. I love the concept of these three different systems because it makes sense to me to start first by helping the body restore balance, restore normal function so the body can heal itself. The body does have a healing system, and if we can employ that, that's the, the best first choice, in my opinion. If that doesn't work, then let's say, well, let's employ some digestive enzymes or some natural laxatives and use naturopathic medicine to do the job for you in a natural way. And if that doesn't work, let's go to something like Western medicine that will save your life. You know, it's very important that we don't have an attitude or some type of opinion negatively towards Western medicine. It really does save lives. You know, I've raised six kids, my wife and I, and we've rarely used antibiotics. But when we did, 
We needed them and thank God they were there. I've had patients who didn't want to go to the medical doctor, didn't want to have their kids take antibiotics, and I've actually seen some children die because of that. So this is a risk we don't want to take. When you have three systems to choose from, you can begin to understand when to use natural medicines like naturopathic medicine, when to employ the principles of Ayurveda, which is about prevention. I wrote my book, Perfect Health for Kids, all my books really, about how to understand how to keep your body in balance so you can have an optimized healing system. But if that doesn't work, we employ naturopathic medicine. If that doesn't work, Western medicine is there to save your life. So please go to my website at lifespot.com, read the article associated with this video so you get more information about how to take care of yourself and your family in the most optimal way. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Diard. This recording is brought to you by LifeSpa, where ancient Ayurvedic wisdom meets modern science. Get access to free health video newsletters by Dr. John at LifeSpa.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. 